And good morning, evening, afternoon, wherever you are in the world. This is Harrison Smith back with another episode of Cinema brought to you by, you guessed it, Dark Matter TV. Dark Matter TV is a streaming platform where you can find not just current genre entertainment and horror, sci-fi, thriller, and action, but also classic content that takes you back to the great old days of late night cable and finding those cult and classic films that they just don't make anymore. Available for download on Android or Apple or visit darkmattertv.com. It's free, it's fun, and it's gonna grow. My first feature film was The Fields, and it's a semi-autobiographical account of what happened to me on my grandparents' farm in the uh, summer, early fall, late summer, early fall of 1973. Cloris Leachman played my grandmother. Tara Reid played my mother. And um, I understand, I want to start this podcast out by saying I, I understand the concept of based on a true story. Uh, directors, writers, whatever, will take great liberties uh, to, to make sure that the story is interesting. They will punch it up. And I understand that that has to be done. The issue and the reason why for this podcast this week is there is also a cynical movement going on here. And that is the creation of these so-called true stories or the biopic, where they will focus on a character, uh, whether it's Steve Jobs or it's Mark Zuckerberg, uh, that kind of thing. And they will deliberately alter these events and then to turn around later if they don't get an Academy Award nomination or a Golden Globe or, or anything like that. And they will bemoan the fact that they were discriminated against. And so I wanted to take a look this week at something that you really don't hear a lot about in these kind of discussions. And that is the whole, you know, based on a true story. And as I put in parentheses for this episode, sort of. So you get the big one. The, the, the one that seems to cover your bases altogether is the inspired by true events. Well, you can almost slap that on anything. So, you know, you have that and you have based on a true story, based on true events. Most of what you are about to see is true. Some of this is bullshit. The names have been changed. Certain dialogue has been made up. Uh, we have an agenda and we want to entertain you. Uh, you've become so ignorant to the real events, you wouldn't know what was real anyway. Just go with it. And look, this applies to all genres. For example, I, I have a previous podcast about the Amityville Horror. And you can go with the Conjuring movies and all of that. Well, they're based on the files from Ed and Lorraine Warren. Uh, once you start adding true in there, uh, who's to say what's true? Because somebody said so. Uh, you know, isn't it amazing again, like on these ghost hunter shows and all of that, uh, they'll talk to people that are in this house and they'll say, oh my God, if you were just here a week ago, it formed this full apparition and it threw these bar stools or whatever. And every time the crews show up, none of this is ever recorded to definitively prove what is being said. I mean, what is it? Like Ghost, Ghost Hunters was on for how many years? Like over a decade? Uh, there's still no concrete proof of anything. And again, I'm not saying that it doesn't exist. I'm just pointing out that there is something going on here with this whole based on true events thing. It doesn't necessarily mean this is the way that it happened. The LA Times ran a disturbing article, and I'm going to post the, uh, the article in my, my show notes on a very disturbing trend quietly seeping into filmmaking. And it's been around for some time, but as the general population falls into a deeper sleep, it's, it's almost imperceptible. I, like I said, I'm providing the link to the article in my show notes. And, and the focus 
was the acclaimed biopic on Steve Jobs, if you remember this. And it was the latest film to take swipes at a dead man unable to defend himself. If you remember that, there was this whole mourning for Steve Jobs and you know, he had pancreatic cancer. And then they slowly started piling on the guy. Uh, he was a lousy father, a terrible husband, um, all those things. Uh, he was a terrible employer. He was a monster to work for. And you always had the other side that said, well, he's a genius and there's a price to pay for genius and all of this other stuff. But look, history is told by the winner or the one who's you know, basically in control of the information. I mean, Columbus Day has come under fire, you know, revisionist fire and seen as the celebration of a man who led a wave of genocide on, on a hemisphere. And as a former history teacher and historian, I can say that this is not an unfair label. However, when I used pieces of Columbus's own journal back in the mid-90s for high school lessons, I was branded a traitor, a communist, a terrorist, I was unpatriotic, what, what have you. Yet provided the journals I verified were authentic, well then Columbus damned himself with his own words. A lot of this smacks of, of Animal Farm. And while everybody waited for 1984 to become the, the kind of precedent, uh, you know, to, to set things up for the future, people didn't keep their eye on George Orwell's Animal Farm or Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, which I feel gave the most accurate predictions of what society was to become. First, we would grow ignorant to our own history. Thus, it would then be revised. We're seeing this now in the wake of these riots, you know, just tearing down statues and everything. There's nothing to learn from them. And look, I'm not right away. Someone's out there going to say, that's because you're white and you're a racist. I am not a racist, okay? What I'm trying to point out is, do we tear down the Holocaust memorials because they represent something bad? Do we just get rid of all the Nazi flags and never have them in museums or proper places with proper identifying materials and educational materials so people can learn from the mistakes of the past? What, what is wrong with that? You just can't bury the past, but apparently you can. Secondly, we would become so distracted by trivial, superficial entertainments that we would just no longer care about the things that really mattered. So throw in a plethora of, of mood-altering prescription drugs, you know, today's antidepressants and Ritalin and mood elevators and downers, where they're basically Huxley Soma. And you have a population that, in the end, just doesn't give a shit. So high fives to Orwell and Huxley. Facts? Who can be bothered to check facts or be objective? If you are a, one of these people who insists on accuracy or objectivity, you're a hater, a bigot, a curmudgeon a ranter, a bully, a homophobe, terrorist, communist, socialist, misogynist. You get the point. Bullshit answers that evade the facts are papered over with empty excuses like, it's complicated. Yeah, but you see, in the end, it's really not. So like my podcast, which is Cinema, C-Y-N-E-M-A, which is a play on the actual cinema, C-I-N-E-M-A, there is real, which is R-E-A-L, versus real, like film real, R-E-E-L. It's just easier now to make shit up. And this is nothing new for Hollywood. Bonnie and Clyde were made out to be star-crossed, misunderstood lovers opposed to their vulgar and, and animalistic murdering reality. I mean, the right, we refashioned them into that. And history has been skewed and openly bent by Hollywood to fit agendas. Truths are bent, 
they have been even before the time the totally fabricated I cannot tell a lie George Washington story helped to give the American people the hero they wanted. And, and yes, the chopping down of the cherry tree and I cannot tell a lie is bullshit. It's so hard to not go off on a giant all-encompassing tangent or rant for some of you. The focus is on film and a new kind of biopic that isn't really a biopic at all. In fact, it's peddled by some of the biggest writers in the business, and if it's as cynical as it seems, then Steve Jobs' widow had every right to prevent the making of a film that slandered her husband and his legacy. Let's just say Steve Jobs was a dick, and he was a bad father. Let's say he was a bad boss and boyfriend and husband. That is part of his legacy. And while it may be unflattering, if it can be substantiated with verifiable proof, then it goes into the film about him. A screenplay, no matter by whom it's written, should reflect this. However, should total conversations and events be fabricated to create false drama? Well, what separates this from defamation? Additionally, taking what really was said and twisting its context to create a specific outcome is also disingenuous. Now play this to an audience that didn't know Jobs, knows very little of the man's history, let alone his company's history, and you have something akin to lying. Oh, Jobs didn't really say that, but it was true to his nature. Oh, okay, I got it. You're bullshitting. Lorene Powell, Jobs' widow, is featured in this one article that I'm going to also post the show in the show notes, and you'll see what I mean. But let's go a little further. Let's go back. Do you remember the Sony scandal that, that dethroned Amy Pascal from uh, Sony and all of that? Remember that? Uh, you know, they, these conversations, these emails got leaked. So how about I write something about Amy Pascal, uh, Pascal, Pascal, Scott Rudin, Michael DeLuca, and quote them on things they didn't really say. I mean, they could have said it. In fact, I think it's something they would have said, but no. They really didn't say it in real life. Something tells me the cease and desist order might get bypassed for a defamation or slander suit. Maybe I can write a Spielberg biopic and make up all of my own dialogue in situations. I mean, I've studied enough about Steven Spielberg all of my life to know what he might have said in situations I've read so much about. Maybe one day when the Sony email hacking story is written for the screen, the author can ignore the emails themselves and what they exactly said and instead just make up what the author thinks they said. How about that? The information is right there, but it's better to make it all up and embellish it because it's better film. It's one thing to fabricate a fictional story set on board the Titanic. It's another thing to pass the Titanic movie off as a biopic. What the LA Times reported on was laziness. Because it's award-winning Aaron Sorkin, it's excused. Sorkin gets praise for writing incredible dialogue. Yes, because he seems to find the real words to be boring. While I know nothing of Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook's founder, and according to some, hijacker, his gripes on the social network seem founded. The media made him out to be a whiner, whose mouth was tainted by sour grapes. Here's what Zuckerberg had to say about Sorkin's biopic for The Social Network. He said, 
The thing that I think is most thematically interesting that they got wrong is the whole framing of the movie. The way that it starts is, is that I'm with this girl who doesn't exist in real life who dumps me, which has happened in real life to a lot. And basically, they frame it as if the whole reason for making Facebook and building something was because I wanted to get girls or I wanted to get into some sort of social institution. The reality for people who know me is I've been actually dating the same girl since before I started Facebook. So obviously, that's not part of it. And right now, Zuckerberg, of course, is one of our nation's boogeymen. He's appeared before Congress and uh, Facebook is you know, supporting Trump and they're censoring social media and free speech, the whole thing. But when we're going back to focus on the social network movie, the David Fincher film that Aaron Sorkin wrote, we're finding some holes here. Aaron Sorkin claimed his well-written script was non-fiction. I'm going to argue it is not. Perhaps Mr. Zuckerberg could set up an Aaron Sorkin Facebook page and style it to what he thinks Mr. Sorkin would say in post. Maybe he could populate it with some fabricated photos as well and give Aaron Sorkin the life Zuckerberg believes Mr. Sorkin has lived and, and possibly lives now. Then he can go to the media and say the page is nonfiction. Does that work? Why doesn't the door swing both ways? With Facebook's extensive data collection and algorithms, I am sure Zuckerberg could piece together a far more accurate life for Sorkin than Sorkin did for Zuckerberg. How is what Sorkin did with Zuckerberg and Steve Jobs any different than what Brian Williams did at NBC? I mean, he made shit up that he thought was true and could have been true. So have a number of other journalists, only they were all branded plagiarists or liars. And I'm, I'm looking at you, Geraldo Rivera. And look, even Dan Rather, right? Sorkin wins Oscars and Golden Globes, though. He doesn't get branded a plagiarist or a liar. So you're a screenwriter. Do the work. Get out there and verify. Be the Woodward and Bernstein of screenwriting on your subject matter. Schools teach that it's good enough to hit close, to almost make it. Dated concepts like excelling or being number one are for bullies and kids with big egos on this new level playing field that education wants to bring. It makes people feel bad if they can't be number one. That's why everyone gets a trophy. Yet some teachers still try to hold students to standards and accountability. This is not what is happening in Hollywood. Look, if a student hands in a research paper that has fabricated quotes and data and situations, that student is penalized and should fail. There was no research. It was bullshit. No matter how good it sounded, it didn't happen. It wasn't real, and it's a recreation, period. The student doesn't win awards or critical acclaim. So I ask you, why does Sorkin get accolades for scripts that are basically made up? His biopics are fake research papers. Apply this to the outcry against global warming research on either side of the fence, whichever one you're on, and suddenly this takes on greater significance. I'll just adjust data because I think this is what it's saying, and I'll tweak some scientific quotes all to fit the story I want to tell. I mean, that works, right? I mean, it's been working with this pandemic. Everybody's an expert on research by watching four YouTube videos, and I love when they post online, well, I've been researching this. Exactly what is your research? 
facts, schmacks. The screenplay is the thing, to paraphrase Shakespeare. One of my favorite films, Ed Wood, is a shining example of this. But the film was not marketed as a non-fiction biopic. Director Tim Burton admitted this was his own view of the late, much maligned director, played by Johnny Depp. Characters were altogether eliminated to fit Burton's story, and whole situations were fabricated. Bella Lugosi was portrayed as a foul-mouthed, angry man who died a loner heroin junkie. The film ignores the fact that while indeed he did divorce, as the movie says, he also remarried and was married at the time of his death. His wife is totally written out of all of that in the film, if you've seen it. And he had a son who is not even mentioned in the movie. Additionally, Burton puts in the famous buried in the Dracula cape scene at Lugosi's graveside. Two reporters talk about the cape, but no one mentions it was Lugosi's wish and his wife honored it to be buried in that cape. And according to a number of people, including his survivors, Lugosi never used foul language, at least on set, and he was always congenial. His relationship with rival Boris Karloff may have been strained, but the famous blow-up in the film where Lugosi deems Karloff not worthy of smelling his own shit, that never happened. Lugosi also didn't sleep in coffins to try them out. He did not freeze up on live television like Burton's film portrayed. Little changes to drive the script, and I get it. But to pass off Ed Wood as a biopic is no different than a student handling in a total fake piece on Franklin Roosevelt. Did Tim Burton inadvertently start the passive biopic? I mean, Ed Wood is no more a biopic than FDR American Badass is a biopic of the former president. And if you haven't seen that film, you need to check it out because it's extremely funny and it stars Barry Boswick as FDR. But just as a disclaimer, it's not based on a true story. Is any Jurassic Park entry accurate science? No, but it doesn't claim to be. But what happens when audiences don't know this anymore? You're a screenwriter. Get the facts right. Get out there and talk, interview, research, and write. Then check and check again. It's called work. And no amount of media spinning can justify out-and-out bullshitting. What happens when audiences accept the science of Hollywood as real and empirical data? Twitter one time lit up over people just finding out that Matt Damon's The Martian wasn't based on a true story. Do you remember that? I mean, it, it, it could be, right? It will be one day, right? Maybe it's not too late for Ridley Scott to get based on true events added to the tagline of his next Alien movie. I mean, how about we start doing based on future true events? That means... It isn't happening now, but it could one day. And in the meantime, wake the hell up, people. Look, I know this from experience. My film, The Fields, which you can hear a previous podcast on, is based, like I said, on true events. However, the directors took my script and took some liberties with it. People seem to enjoy The Fields, and I'm very grateful for that. There were certain things that took place in that movie that were not written the way that it was in the script. So even Tara Reid had said to me when we watched the film together for the first time, she said, <laughs> she said, this is not the movie that I read, but that's what a director does. Now that I'm looking at the poster right now, 
And the tagline to the fields is based on actual events. Yes, I was a little boy in 1973. I lived on my grandparents' farm uh, for much of the summer and, and a lot, quite a bit, due to a very rough childhood. Uh, yes, our house came under attack. Um, a bunch of events happened. Uh, the windows were smashed out. Things were terrifying. My grandmother swore like a sailor. Uh, my relatives that are depicted in the film, some of them were my crazy cousins with the chicken scene. Yeah, all pretty accurate. But then there were other events, for example, uh, when the cops come to the house in the fields, uh, the directors thought it would be better to have my other grandfather, I had two grandfathers at the time, uh, a maternal and a paternal grandfather, and uh, they thought it would be better that my mother's father, who was a chief of police, be the cop that comes calling on my other grandparents' home. That never happened. Uh, but for ease of story, they felt that would be better. However, when I do give interviews on this, I'm very clear about the disclaimers as the writer of this film, and I certainly am not out boohooing over the fact that I'm not winning awards. Now, I have won a couple screenplay awards with the fields, but I'm always very clear to state that some of these things were liberties taken with my screenplay. So I think that's a fair assessment to say. So based on true events, we can look again. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, was it real? The answer is no, and go look it up. It is loosely, very loosely based on the exploits of Ed Gain, okay? The uh, guy that uh, uh, cannibalized and used human skin and, and all of this stuff, uh, and also killed his mother, in which Robert Block loosely based Psycho upon. So is Psycho a true story? I guess, sort of. And then, like I said, we go to the Conjuring movies, or we go to the Entity, we go to these kind of things because they all take the dubious claim of being true stories. Was The Nun a true story? The spinoff movie? Is Annabelle a true story? The Annabelle that is featured in the Conjuring movies is a very different doll than what they show that scary thing that's in the feature films. It's a Raggedy Ann doll in real life. I've seen Annabelle in real life. I uh, never saw the thing move. And it was in this very flimsy little wooden glass curio box. And uh, for something that was said to be so dangerous, they sure didn't have it under lock and key pretty well. You have to decide. The Amityville Horror is another one. As I said in a previous podcast, here's what I believe is true about the Amityville Horror. And that is the DeFeo family were shot in their sleep. There is no doubt about that. But all the other stuff that took place afterwards with George and Kathy Lutz moving into the home has been pretty much discredited. I mean, it's it's been verified as a hoax. In fact, by the Lutz's own attorney who was trying to sell a book and capitalize on the popularity of The Exorcist at the time and was also representing Ronnie DeFeo who murdered his family inside 112 Ocean Avenue. The goal was is to get an insanity clause for his client and at the same time, possibly a profitable book. And over the years, Jay Anson, before he died, he even admitted he took liberty with some of the things that the Lutzes told him. And George Lutz, who adamantly stuck by the Amityville story, even toward the end of his life, he even conceded. The Amityville horror that you see in the theaters, the Amityville horror in, in the book, and all these other sequels, they change things. But Lutz still stood by his story but we still don't know what that is. They did take a lie detector test that I will give you. 
and both he and his wife passed it. So either they're really good liars or they truly believed enough to fool that machine and give a positive readout in the events that they say happened. But subsequent homeowners, other investigators, including scientific investigators, uh, have produced nothing. The only thing that I have ever seen come out of any type of examination of the Amityville house in Long Island is that famous photo uh, allegedly taken inside there with nobody else around. It was taken, I think, on a tripwire uh, sensor motion camera of a little boy who appears to have either glowing eyes or no eyes. And of course, you know, right away they're saying, oh, that's the spirit of this boy that drowned out back in the Amity Sound and the Long Island Sound. I don't know. But the fact is they were able to take this story, go out, slap a true story on it, and people just believed it. And they believed it for decades. Look, I was in seventh grade when the movie came out. The movie did nothing to convince me. The book was a good read. And I got to tell you, we want to believe in these things. And I think that's one of the reasons as I wind this down, why we embrace these biopics and why we look at these things the way that we do. And that is we want them to fit the narrative that's already in our head. Whether it's, look, from what I understand from even people that say they knew Steve Jobs, he wasn't a pleasant man. I never met him. I don't know. However, we want to hate somebody that had so much wealth and so much power. We resent them. We're jealous. It's envy. Whatever it may be, we couldn't possibly believe that somebody like that is a really just nice guy. And the same thing with Mark Zuckerberg. He's incredibly wealthy. The guy looks like he's a, a kickout from a Star Trek convention. Uh, you know, this guy has all the money in the world. He can get any woman basically that he wants. And so we want to believe that he's just a bad guy. And who knows? I'm not getting into the politics of things presently right now against you know the, the, the Trump backdrop and 2020 elections and influencing and, and all that stuff. What I'm trying to say is uh, the social network is probably somewhere along the line of, of 50-50. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know how much homework Aaron Sorkin did, but how much of Braveheart was really true. How much of so many of these historical biopics that we watch, how much of it is really true? We want to fit a narrative and we want to entertain people. Let's face it. Some of these people, their lives just really weren't all that exciting or as glamorous as we want them to be. So things get changed. And for me, I think it's a cynical move. You're either all in or you're all out. This is Harrison Smith. Thank you for listening. I look forward to talking to you next week. And again, do the work. Check out my cinema blog on horrorfuel.net and download Dark Matter TV for your Apple or Android devices.